Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. We're in the middle of this in this series that um, I'm just calling it Live Forgiven because, man, we carry so much guilt. And unfortunately, the church is pretty good about making you feel even more guilty for your sin. And it's not like we should just take sin lightly or, or say that it's of no consequence. Sin kills. It destroys. It brings death to your soul. It destroys your life. It hardens your heart. It sears your conscience so that sin becomes normalized, you know, Anytime something becomes normalized and you're, you're, you're desensitized to it, you're not open to the Spirit of God transformative power in that area. You know, when you can sin and just feel fine about it, there's something wrong. Your heart is hardened and your conscience is seared. But we get there because we don't know that we're forgiven. And this is the whole point that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks is dealing with Yes, behaviors, dealing with fruit. And in Galatians 5, we see the fruits of the Spirit. Those are all the fruits of the Spirit that you should see displayed in your life. Back over in 2 Peter 1, he kind of reiterates the same thing that Paul taught in Galatians 5. And it's basically just a list. And this is a bit of review, then we'll get to where we're going. But it's not like a different list. It's not like a different set of doctrine that Peter is teaching in 2 Peter. He's affirming what Paul is teaching in Galatians 5. The Spirit of God within you should bear fruit unto all of these things, you know, patience and gentleness and meekness and goodness and self-control. Say self-control. Self-control. We might should say that about five more times. It's a fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Well, you know what? I just can't control myself. This sin is just bigger. I just can't help it. Well, you're telling me that the Spirit of God in you is weak, is not strong enough to help you control yourself. You can't control yourself. You need to figure out how to let God empower you. Amen? And that's grace. And he'll do it because he loves you all day long. So in review, the last couple of weeks we've been looking at in um, Hebrews, let's go ahead and put that one up. You know, I love to talk about the sacrifice of Christ. I love to talk about, in, talk about it in relation to the old covenant temple system because we gain so much understanding of what happened, especially on Yom Kippur, in that one time a year sacrifice when all of the sins of the nation of Israel were put on the two goats. And everyone was forgiven because the work that the priest did in relation to the sacrifice. It's a symbol of what happens to us in Christ when we say yes to him. All of our sin is taken off of us and put into Jesus. And he literally became our sin. And, you know, we, we started off with this way back on a Resurrection Sunday and kind of made the point that, remember when Jesus rose from the dead and he was standing in the, in the, outside the tomb and Mary was standing there and he said, don't touch me yet, I've not yet ascended to my father. Well, that is a direct reference back to the old covenant system when the high priest would would sacrifice the goat and he would take the blood of the goat and he would go into the heavenly into the temple holy of holies and offer the blood and sprinkle the blood in there. He would say, "Don't touch me! I've not yet offered the blood of the sacrifice." That's what Jesus was doing. 
because his next step after coming up out of that grave was to go into the heavenly holy of holies with his own blood that's better than goats and bulls and offer it once for an offering for sin. And you are forever secure in that offering of his blood before the Father. Amen? Amen. That is your righteousness. And if you ever start struggling with displaying the fruits of the Spirit, so let me just read this catch up here. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Get this picture, right? Just like the high priest would go in with the blood and he would go in and sprinkle the, the Ark of the Covenant in the mercy seat and he would wave the censer with the incense and just create the environment for God to come down and receive the offering and then forgiveness would be released after he received that offering. Your heart, the inside part of you, now is where God dwells on this planet. It's a mirror of the old covenant temple. You are now the temple of the living God. And ultimately what Jesus did was go into the heavenly holy of holies and offer that blood. And then it's mirrored into your heart when you say yes to him. So there's almost this, I, don't, I wouldn't say almost, I think there's this literal cleansing, cleansing of the life of Christ that enters you, that sprinkles your own heart and your own mind from this evil conscience, from this sin consciousness, from this root of sin that was within you, and it makes it holy in that place. I'm going to read a couple more scriptures and we're going to get there, but I want to give you, you know, we're going to go, we're going to look at a lot today. But see, you have to understand your relationship with God in terms of sacrifice and covenant. The sacrifice of Christ and the covenant between the Father and the Son in which you share by faith. See, your relationship with God is not based on whether or not you're keeping the covenant, and it's not based on your repetitive sacrifices. It's based on the one-time sacrifice of Christ, and it's based on the faithfulness of Christ and the faithfulness of the Father. And if you say yes to Jesus, you enter into that covenant through Christ. You see that? Does that mean it's okay to sin? No, that's dumb. You know, that, that, that might get you to heaven earlier. It, it hardens your heart to keep you from experiencing the transformative power of grace in this life. But when you start dealing with these failures that you just keep experiencing over and 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 over, and sometimes it just feels that way, right? You got to realize, okay, the way out of this is to understand Christ has cleansed me. He has removed this from me. He is my righteousness. My only hope of overcoming this thing is to know that he in me is more powerful and I have every right to live in his power because of what he's done in me. Amen? See, there's a way of thinking about sin that, well, you know, you're just kind of always going to struggle with it. You're never really going to fully overcome it because, there, because righteousness isn't really yours until you pass into heaven. It's like, no, the life of Christ is in you right now. He became your sin so that you could become, not will become, 
but so that you could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And we do this little exercise. We'll do it again. Just, just say with me. Now, when you say this phrase, pay attention to where your thoughts go and how you feel inwardly. Say, I am righteous. I am righteous. One more time. I am righteous. I am righteous. Now, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about your behavior? Are you thinking about what you did last night? Or do you have this mental picture in your heart of Jesus entering into the heavenly holy of holies, offering his blood, and you're saying, wow, this is my righteousness? Or are you thinking, wait a minute, there's this system here that I've got to run all this stuff through. You know, I mean, it's, where do you go with that? Is that your reality that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Because that is your way out of the load of sin, the heaviness of sin, the heaviness of death and destruction, those repetitive cycles that keep showing up in your life. To know that you're already free from it and tap into that and live from that and let it empower you. It's alive. It's breathing. The Spirit of God is in you. So next verse here in 2 Peter, and this is where he's just, and again, it's review. The messages are up on our podcast if you want to go listen, but just before this, Peter is talking about this list of things that should be displayed in your life and that you should add to your life these things that God will produce through you, essentially the fruits of the Spirit, displaying godliness in your life. And then he says, For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things, things meaning the stuff that, she, that should be produced as fruit in your life because you're a, a Jesus follower. You hear me? If you lack those things, even to blindness, uh, and ha he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Do you get that? I mean, I know we've been kind of going over this, but I just, as I was praying, I feel like God's saying, hit it again, affirm it again. If you are not living the way that you think that you are supposed to live or the way that you know that the Spirit of God should produce in your life, it's because you have forgotten that you were forgiven. Not because you're some old dirty sinner that's just going to, drag this dead body around, not because you're not righteous enough and you need to give enough or do something in your own effort enough to get back to a place of holiness and righteousness so that you will then live these things outwardly. It's, it's, you turn it around. No, because you know you're forgiven, you will display these behaviors. Because you know that God is not holding your sin against you, that it was paid for in the body of Christ, then you are forgiven and you are free from the power of sin to live into this holiness. Because there's nothing condemning you and, and creating the need for a punishment, you're free from that whole cycle. Romans 8, you're free from the law of sin and death. You're free now to let His righteousness, spiritually thinking about what's true about you in spirit, dwell within your heart and your mind to outwardly live this stuff. And if you're not, it's because you forgot you're forgiven. Think about this. This cycles, these cycles that you keep running. 
What if you were able to experience the forgiveness of God before you chose that cycle? You know what I mean? Because here's what we do. We, life gets heavy. Life gets hard. We get all stressed out. We choose death, and then we go and ask God for forgiveness, and we wonder if we're really forgiven. Well, what if you just skipped that death part, and you just went ahead and said, you know what? I'm already forgiven. I think I'll just quit choosing that death stuff. You know what I'm saying? Because you are already forgiven. Does that mean it's okay to sin? No, y'all were less quiet on that one. <laughs> Am I talking too fast? I had, I, had a, I had more coffee this morning. I knew I had a lot to get through, so I tanked up. <laughs> Interesting. Just a few points here. Now, I'm going to read a bunch of scripture, and then we'll see how much time we have, and I'll kind of wrap it up. But 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the strength of sin is the law. This is paradoxical. You know, Paul over and over goes through this thing of, teaching people that are quote-unquote following the law to stop trying to keep the law for your righteousness. And then he says, the law's not bad, it's perfect. The law's holy. It did its job. It showed you that you're not perfect. It shows you that you need Jesus. In fact, the fact that you have the law in your mind is the strength of you continuing to choose against it in your old man. Does that make sense? Like when you've got this old root of sin within you and then the law comes, it's going to show you. You just, it reinforces that. It's like you become vexed with something, you know. You have an emotion or a thought in your mind and you don't even like it, but you find yourself gravitating toward it. I heard a preacher talk about he was out, just did a little experiment. He was out in a playground and there were some kids out there and he said, whatever you do, don't spit on that flower. And, and then the kid, you know, the kids are over here, wait, 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 and all of a sudden it's like, boom, flower. Well, guess what? Every one of them went and spit on it. The strength of sin is the law. You're driving down a road, like, right? You don't know what the speed limit is. What do you do? You think, okay, I'm going to drive safe enough that I'm protecting myself, everybody in the car, everybody with me. It's about life and death at that moment, right? You might be thinking, okay, how fast can I go here? and still stay in control. But it's, it's more of life and death. It's not right and wrong. But the minute you see that speed limit, you think, how much can I break that law? <laughs> Five, who's nine? Nine miles over the speed limit. You're nine? Yeah, nine. Ten. Ten. What do we got? Who else? <laughs> Higher. The law comes. This is, this is where I can break it. But when you don't have the law, it's like, okay, let me be safe. Let me choose life here. What's the life choice? See, we have to shift our thinking now about sin to life and death rather than right and wrong. The law has been removed from you. Jesus didn't come to abolish it or throw it away. He fulfilled it. You are free from living toward God with the mindset of, am I doing it right or wrong? Now, the question is, am I choosing life or am I choosing death? I'm secure in Christ, and because I'm free, my life can look like whatever I want it to look like, but I want to reflect, the God. I want to reflect God's goodness. I want to reflect God's grace and mercy and holiness and righteousness. And the fact that I don't have some stone carving telling me what I'm supposed to do, sometimes people fall off into a ditch and misuse that freedom. That's not smart. Sometimes people still drag around those tin, those carvings, and say, no, 
I, you don't know what I'll do without these stones right here. You don't know what I would do if I was free. You see, this message will reveal what's in your heart. Not whether or not you got your doctrine straight. What's in your heart? What do you really believe about the application of the Spirit of God in your life? This is what we're talking about. So in Romans 6, 8, Paul's dealing with this stuff. He's dealing with taking a group of people out of a mindset of living before God in the context of right and wrong and getting them to reshift in Christ their thinking life and death. Because I'm secure in Christ, now what am I going to choose? Romans 6, 8 now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now watch what he does. Likewise, so just like what he described about Jesus, let's go back to the top of that, Romans 6, 8 again. He's... He, he talks about the, tr the reality of Jesus and sin and the relation, and then he parallels it to you. So in other words, just like sin is associated with Christ, it is with you. Now, watch this. Now, so place yourself in here. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, were you raised from the dead? You were, you were delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. You were dead in your sin, cut off from God. Now you are alive in Christ. You have been raised. Amen. 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 Dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Death has no power over you. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin. Reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin. Reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin. No, oh, but you see, brother, we've got this white dog and black dog inside of us fighting, and whichever one you feed is going to win. No, but you see, my righteousness is positional. I only get it when I die. God just kind of winks and says, maybe, or it's, it's later. No, now reckon yourselves dead to sin. I mean, I'm just reading the Bible. Are you following me, though? There are some circles that say, well, you're just always going to struggle with it. Well, I disagree. And I think in this moment, you can reckon yourselves dead to sin. Are you with me? Because we're about halfway there. <laughs> will, you, will you bump the air down a little bit in here? Put it on like, will you bump the air down? Seriously. Yeah. You have to hold it in until it blinks, then turn it down like 71 or something. Everybody, everybody look around. What did you say? Everybody look around and say, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Your only hope is Christ in you. Your only hope is Christ in you. 
Your only hope is Christ in you. To be able to look at this stuff and realize this could be a reality. This is a reality. This is an option for me. My life could reflect this truth. My life can look like this. Reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's keep going. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should, that you should obey it in its lusts. You've got a choice. I'm going to get to the part where the choice is between death and life, sin and grace. Just like you yield yourselves to that lust that starts going through or that fear of not having enough money and you want to shortcut the system or that fear of control that you're losing and you burst out into anger, whatever all that stuff is, you are aware before you tread into it that you're headed that direction. Don't let it reign in your mortal body. He's removed it from your spirit. You do not have the root of sin within you in your spirit. In the eternal aspect of the kind of being that you are, there is no sin. God has remade you into a new creature. And in that creature, there is no sin in spirit. Sin is in the world, and you can let it into you. It's not part of your nature any longer. I mean, this is, this, is, this is the rubber meeting the road type stuff. You know what I mean? This is like, all right, you mean I have a responsibility of whether or not I'm letting sin reign within my body? Well, I've got good news for you. Let's keep going here. Do not, did I finish that last one? Go back. Okay, yep. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. I mean, you kind of get this picture. You know, Paul goes through the, he's about to go into in Romans 7 where he paints this picture of the law came and I didn't know it before and, you know, it revived in things in me that I didn't know were there and so I'm struggling with this stuff and it's sin in me, but it's not me. He makes the distinction between himself and the sin that's in him. And then he goes into Romans 8 and he says, but there's no, no, no for, no for. There, no for, no condemnation. <laughs> for those who are in Christ. And then he goes through the way you deal with it, the way you remedy the situation of this stuff being in me and I'm doing what I don't want to do, is that first, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I'm in Christ. Then, to the degree to which my mind is full of his ways and his spirit and his word will produce life in my life. It's all about what you let going on in your mind, what you let yourself feel and experience is going to bear fruit into your life. Do you feel this stuff to be true? Like, like when we read this passage here, that sin has no power over you, that, that you can yield yourselves to righteousness. I mean, do you, do you feel any sense of? Yes. Let's keep going here. Don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, to sin but present yourselves to God as a being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall have no dominion, no power, no authority over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. One more verse, watch what he does. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. 
that I stole that from Paul, right? You know, because you kind of have to you kind of have to tack that on to the end of the sentence because when you preach grace properly, it will make people think, well, you're saying I can just do whatever I want to do. But then Paul says, okay, am I saying that you can just do whatever you want to do? Nope. Why? Because you're under grace. You're under grace. Do you know what grace is? Let me redefine it for you. Unfortunately, in the modern church, we kind of blend grace and mercy together. You know, it's, it's as if I'm going to show you some grace. You're really ticking me off right now, but I'm going to show you some grace. That's not grace. That's mercy. God says, you know what? You're in me. You keep missing it, but I forgive you because you're in Christ and you've said yes to my son and my spirit lies within you. That's mercy. Grace says, hey, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You don't have to choose that. Your sin has been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. It is not being held against you. Now, then God influences your heart, which is where you believe from, and a power rises up within you stronger than any power of sin in the world or even in your own body or your mind. Grace is more powerful than any choice of death ever. But see, because we think, sometimes we just believe lies, and we don't know that we can choose grace. Or you've got bad teaching, and you don't understand that sin is not your nature. But when you start to recognize and you want to take responsibility for actually people that say that you still have a sin nature, you're, act, you're the one given a license to sin. Well, as you see, I just, I just can't help it. It's a part of who I am. Well, then you're saying it's a, just go for it because that's the way God made you. Just continue in it. No. Grace. Say grace. Grace. Has power over me. I mean, I'm hitting this stuff kind of hard. I, I, I am on purpose because what I know is that lots of other places, they're hitting hard sin to produce guilt and giving you an excuse to continue in sin because you just can't help it. Well, you can help it because you've been changed. Now, what does God do if you sin? Because it's like, Paul says it here. He's like, look, you're alive in Christ. You're dead to sin. Reckon yourselves dead. Am I saying it's okay to sin? No, I'm not saying that. We're talking about spiritual truth here. So now let's keep going. Say, keep going. Keep going. Okay, thank you. I will. <laughs> Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence. To... Remember, we started talking about, we started out by talking about that Jesus' sacrifice and the offering of his own blood, it doesn't just temporarily forgive your sin like the blood of goats and bulls. It doesn't just remove your sin from you and place you in Christ. It also, the sacrifice of Christ, also has the power to cleanse your conscience from dead works. So your conscience or your consciousness is where you choose. It's where your morality, your morality lives. It's that part of you that things filter through before you make your choices. It's that part that carries guilt. It's that part that carries shame. Because if there's shame in there, 
It's because you've, something has either happened to you that has violated your conscience or you have continued in something that you know is not godly and there's this guilt living within there. See, the reason, the reason sin isn't fun anymore when you're a believer is because you know better. You know it's killing you. Sin isn't a list of the fun things that God wants you to stop. Sin is a list of the things that's killing you. It's a list of the things that you're living contrary to the nature of your new nature. So this idea of the sacrifice of Christ, not just temporarily forgiving you, but forever, not just temporarily cleansing you, but forever, but also cleansing your conscience. Think about that. Think about Jesus entering into the heavenly holy of holies with his own blood, and then mirror that into your consciousness, your, your thinking, where you live your life from. You know, the scientists now are studying consciousness. They realize there's something happening with a human being other than just energy and synapses firing and electromagnetic activity running through the brain. There's something else aside from just physicality, and they're calling it consciousness. And so they're just saying, well, we'll figure out what that is one day too. But that, no, that's that part of you that's intangible. It's that part of you that lives on. It's that part of you that's connected to God. And in your consciousness, you are getting told who you are from the Spirit of God, and then you are being told who you are in the world. And you get to choose which one you are. But guess what? The one that you are in spirit is the one that you really are. The one that's eternal is the one that you really are. So think about this image in this picture. Jesus coming in as the high priest, stepping into you, into that place where you judge right and wrong, where you choose how you're going to live your life. And he takes his own blood and he cleanses that area. He cleanses that consciousness and he removes the guilt and he removes the shame and he removes the hurt from the past and he removes those words that you're continuing to let define you because of what someone spoke to you. Are, do you see that? This is what the blood of Christ should do, cleansing your conscience. Because once it's clear and free, the power of a clear conscience is immeasurable because then you're not subject to the world defining you and choosing your options for you. You're yielded to God's Spirit in that moment. Do you see that? Hebrews 10, 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, just say it's all about Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is His body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, with our hearts sprinkled. And he's referring to the mercy seat being sprinkled by the blood, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience or evil conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water, talking about the water of the word, let us hold unswervingly. I love that word. This says without wavering. Unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Go back and, you know, we'll post these scriptures up, but go back and read these because I know this is a lot to chew on. But the, here's the issue. 
those things that you continue to repeat that make you feel guilty and you keep falling into that stuff and you struggle, whether it be just a feeling or an emotion or repetitive thought or an action or a behavior or whatever it is, whatever it is for you, that thing that's like, oh, man, I don't know. It's just become familiar, too familiar in my life, you know. That thing, we're talking about that having no more power over you. Why? Because you're forgiven. Because you've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And externally from God, there is no more standard of right and wrong being placed on you. He says, you're free, you're in me, now choose life. Don't let that stuff reign in your life. 1 John 1, 5. I think now we're halfway there. I told you, we got a busy day. Aren't you glad you visited today? It's going to go fast, I think. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not participate do not participate in the truth. Now, some people take this and put this into whether or not you're born again. I don't think it's talking about whether or not you're born again. I think it's talking about whether or not you're yielding to the power of righteousness within you, whether or not you're living in the light. See, when you look at these terms, let me, let me finish this and then I'll comment. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, we hear that and then we think, well, that must be when we get born again. No, his blood continually cleanses you of sin. His blood, not in your spirit, but in your mind and in your heart and in your behaviors. The blood of Christ is active daily all day for you. Amen? Why? So you can continue in sin? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, now the word confess there means to say the same thing. So in other words, you are to say the same thing about your sin that God says about your sin. It's removed from you. It has no power over you. It's not defining who you are. Grace is more powerful in you than that sin you're about to choose. Those are the things that God says about your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. This is an ongoing process. It's not that you become unforgiven and then need to be re-forgiven. It's that because you're forgiven, the blood of Christ is actively cleansing you and removing all of that unrighteousness that we keep letting in. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin, so that you may not sin. This is powerful. Don't sin. I'm writing to you so that you don't sin. But if you do, what? Paul, are you saying it's okay to sin? Is Paul saying it's, it's it, or John, is John saying it's okay to sin here? No. Why would he say this? Don't sin. But if anyone does, telling you this is a splinter this is a this is a wedge in the body of Christ this message of faith righteousness this message of the gospel that is gaining traction in the earth today that is bringing an awareness of the finished work of Jesus Christ 
This is one of the stumbling blocks. This is one of the dividing factors here. You're saying it's okay to sin. You're saying that, that we're going light on sin. Well, if I'm saying it, it's because John said it first. If you interpret this as to say that we're somehow making provision for sin, then you're misunderstanding what John is saying. What he's doing is affirming to you that your forgiveness resides within Christ. And the best way to live is to, is to let that righteousness reign within you and don't sin. But you might sin. If you do, remember, you've got an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You ever tried to communicate this stuff to people and they're like, well, wait a minute, I don't, I'm not sure. That I, this doesn't sound right. Something's not right here. You're, it's, like you're, it's like if I live that way, you're kind of saying, have you, have you faced that? Y'all need to preach to your friends more often if you're in. <laughs> I'm telling you, you communicate the gospel. If you communicate it properly and you're dealing with a legalistic person, the response that you should get is you're saying it's okay to sin. Then you get to say, no, I'm not saying it's okay to sin. And let me tell you why. It's because I've actually already been cleansed from it. And you have too if you're a believer. But if you do, you've got an advocate with the Father. You've got Jesus the Christ standing in heaven, making intercession for you, reminding you that you are a child of God. Romans 8 again, that his spirit stands within us and cries out, Abba, Father, affirming to us that we are his children. Don't sin. But if you do, I look at you in terms of a child, not that I'm waiting to reject, but someone that I want to continually breathe life within so that you'll bear my fruit. Stay away from that stuff. It's killing you. It's killing you, but you're forgiven from it already. My righteousness reigns within you. My grace is stronger than that sin. If you sin, come back to me and tell me. You know, open your heart to me. Say the same thing that I say about it. Don't let that stuff drive a wedge between me and you, but grace is stronger. Than, you know, it's like this, this ongoing conversation that the Father is having with us, affirming to us our security in Christ calling you up to a level of righteousness and holiness that matches the gift that's been given to you in Christ. Don't let it reign within you, but also don't let it drive you away from coming to your Father. Don't let religious, legalistic preaching drive wedges within your mind that God is looking for excuses to draw back from you. Preach the gospel. Amen? If we say we, so, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but the sin of the world. Wow. That doesn't mean everyone is already saved. It just means God is relating to people based on whether or not they have Jesus. Okay? So, Real quickly, 1 John 3, 6, because we're gonna, we kind of keep going in this idea, and we're almost there, almost there. Say, thank you, Lord. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins neither has seen him nor known him. This is the scripture that gets taken and applied to people. 
you're still sinning. I don't think you're saved. You ever, you ever had somebody come at you like that? Well, you know what? If you were really saved, you wouldn't be doing that. You might have heard that from yourself. I mean, I'm telling you, I've sat with people in my counseling office that are convinced they are on their way to hell and not saved because they keep sinning. Because this seems to say, if you're sinning, you're not born again. But remember just a little earlier he said, don't sin, but if you do, you've got an advocate with the Father. This seems to say, if you're sinning, you're not born again. Does the Bible contradict itself? So there must be something we're, under, we're misunderstanding when we read that and come to that conclusion. Put that back up, please. Now, this is where I love to teach, and we dig in, and we understand tenses. If I say to you, I'm going to feed you. I'm pointing at Alan because he's probably hungry right now. <laughs> if I say to you, I'm going to feed you, versus I fed you, then there's a big difference because I'm going to feed you means he's sitting there going, I'm hungry. But if it's I fed you, we know the tense applied is I've already eaten, right? Now, that's an oversimplification of what's what, but we, because of the language that we use, tenses make sense. There's a tense issue happening in this that if you actually spoke Greek and the tense was used this way, you would know what it meant. Now, so this is not special revelation. This is not knowledge that someone else can't go into a Greek, uh, a, uh, no, lexicon and read and discover the tenses. It says, whoever abides in him does not see, abides, right? It's active, present tense. Present tense, active. Not whoever once abode in him or whoever used to abide in him, or whoever will abide in. The tense is evident in abides. Are you with me? Yes. We're talking about a present tense active statement. Whoever abides in him. Now think about that. If you're abiding in Christ, you're letting Christ abide in your thoughts and in your mind. And you're not talking about whether or not you're born again. You're talking about whether or not you're letting God's ways live in your mind and in your heart. You're abiding within him. You're letting him abide within you. You're born again. You're secure because of the blood of Christ. But are you a letting his word abide in you? Whoever abides in him does not sin. For whoever sins is neither seeing him or knowing him. Why would he start with a present active tense and then switch to past tense in the middle of a sentence? It's not proper grammar. We're talking about if you're in sin, it's because you're not presently seeing or aware of God. You're not presently knowing Him. You're not acknowledging Him. And over and over and over, it's about acknowledge Him and He'll direct your path. Do you see that? I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but that's an important one because that one is used to beat people up all the time. Let's go on down to verse 19. By this, we shall know <clears throat> that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whoever, for whenever our heart condemns, see, God's not going to condemn you. He condemned Christ in your place. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. See, 
you can't just take one scripture and lift it out and make a doctrine out of it. You've got to see what it says in context of every other place that's used in scripture. So we're talking about condemnation. A definitive statement on condemnation is you're not condemned because you're in Christ. For whenever our heart condemn us, and there's a difference, our heart can condemn us. And that's the guilt and the shame that we feel because your heart knows better. Whenever our heart condemn us, God's greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. This is the issue. You continually choose that repetitive death cycle because your confidence is not in Christ in that moment. You've forgotten that you're forgiven. Your confidence is not in him in that moment, and you choose the death. Take a deep breath. You with me? All right. I know it's a lot. Come back next week, and we'll break it down five more times. So. And whatever we ask, we receive of him. This is incredible. I don't have time to go into that, but what a promise. When your heart is confident before him, whatever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. I mean, I'm so glad he put that, he affirmed what the commandment is because there's an opportunity to jump back into the old covenant there if he didn't do that. Verse 24, whoever keeps his commandment abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. One last scripture, Romans 5, 21. This is where we're going. Earlier, we were told, don't let sin reign in your body. Now watch this. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When does eternal life start? Do you see my point? Eternal life doesn't mean when you die. Because something that doesn't have a beginning, when does it begin, right? Eternal life is now. You have access into this life now. Jesus prayed, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You have a choice. Now, how are you going to apply this into your life? Because this guilt and this shame and this, these death cycles that we keep running and we just feel like, well, I'm just, I'm just stuck in it because of my theology or I'm stuck in it because of the abuse that happened to me or I'm stuck in it because I don't know what to do. What you do is you choose grace. Just like you have the opportunity to choose sin, you choose grace. And grace will reign righteousness within you. And grace will teach you to live godly. And here's the, the most fundamental way to apply this. Can you stop yourself daily and set your mind and heart on the finished work of Christ and who you are in Him and, and, and let that redefine who you think you are? Maybe there's some old teaching that needs to be dismantled some new teaching that needs to be learned. You know, this is the put-off, put-on concept. Put off the old man in your mind. Put on the new man, which is created after God in true holiness and righteousness. You do this daily as you're choosing. You know, there's all kinds of things that you can do. You can write a scripture three times before you go to bed. You can have Bible playing in your ear. You can do whatever. But the issue is, is it getting in your heart? Because grace is a divine influence on your heart. Can you choose life inwardly? Can you stop yourself, not when you're 
fighting in your flesh the struggle to stay away from it, but before it becomes a challenge, can you stop and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am going to yield to grace, and grace will teach me to live godly. Because I'm not doing a real good job on my own here, but I need grace to teach me. And do you believe then that that spirit can build within you the power to live out of that righteousness? But it's all about who, who, who do I think I am? Do I understand what Christ did for me? Am I going to live in the power of his righteousness, which grace brings to my life? Amen? Father, we do. We, we yield to your spirit. Jesus, we thank you for your sufficiency. We trust you fully for our righteousness. We believe that something actually happened when we said yes to you and we received your spirit. You made us new creatures. You brought us from death to life. We were dead in our sin and now we're alive in you. God, I thank you that you're not holding my sin against me. You're not remembering my sin anymore. You see it, of course you see it, but you're not holding it against me because you've dealt with it in Christ. And I'm not going to use that freedom as an opportunity to continue in sin. I'm going to use that freedom as an opportunity to choose grace and let righteousness be born and, and established within me. Is that your prayer?